Well, for the past several weeks, I've uh, been in a sermon series that we have called The Journey. And I told you that I felt like that I was going to continue that series on up through Easter. Uh, but last week, Hunter did a phenomenal job. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back uh, and catch up because uh, Hunter did a great job of transitioning our, our, our series, the journey that we've been talking about, and we are continuing this journey, but our denomination is also doing a worldwide focus uh, throughout Lent up until Easter that is called Water for the Way. So we're continuing to talk about the journey, but what we're looking at now, our focus is shifting a little more to water for the way for you and I as we take this journey of Lent to the cross and to an empty tomb. And what we're doing is we're joining tens of thousands of other Nazarenes all around the world uh, on this journey of unity throughout Lent and throughout our Easter celebration. And uh, last week, Hunter shared with us a little bit about Lent. And some of you uh, may not be familiar with Lent. Some, uh, the, this idea of a spiritual practice of Lent may be new to you. I know a lot of us weren't raised that way in the Protestant church. And we may have thought of Lent as just something that the Catholic church does, but it's actually been something ongoing. It's been a spiritual practice for centuries, and so we wanted to uh, incorporate that uh, this year, and Hunter did a great job of introducing it to us last week, talking about what it's about, and this year what we really want to do is just familiarize you with this spiritual practice of Lent, and some of you may have already, during the Lent season, uh, in the past, you may have uh, fasted some things. You may have put some spiritual disciplines in place during the season of Lent, preparing uh, your heart and your soul for Easter and uh, the celebration of a risen Savior. And, and so uh, last week, our journey uh, beginning the first week of Lent uh, took us to the problem of sin. We defined sin, we talked about the problem uh, of sin, and we learned that Lent is a time uh, for us to confront our sin and that we are all sinners. Scripture says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all have sin and are in need of uh, a Savior. And so today our journey uh, takes us from the problem of sin to the cure for sin, and that's this amazing uh, free gift of grace that every single person in humanity has been extended since the beginning of time. Uh, you know, I've always said that someday I would love to write a book about all the strange things that I have witnessed and strange things that have been said to me uh, since I've been in ministry over the past 25 years. Uh, uh, I really wish that I would have kept a journal because my memory is horrendous. Sometimes people remind me of something crazy or something funny that happened that I actually had forgotten about, but I wish that I would have kept a journal of those things because I promise you it would have been uh, some entertaining reading. Uh, like the one time 
Uh, and some of you may know this story. We used to have a food pantry years ago. Uh, we had a food pantry, and it was basically open anytime anybody wanted to come and get food. And, and we had this fellow that came to the office door one day. Jim's going to remember this. Um, we had this fellow that came to the office door one day. Uh, he had long hair. He looked like he'd just come from Woodstock, okay? That's what this guy looked like. And, and so he came, and he wanted to know if he could get food. And I said, sure. I said, if you'll go around to the double doors right here beside the office, I said, I'll meet you there, and I'll get you some food. What I did not know is those double doors were unlocked. Someone had left them unlocked, and they were normally locked, and I would let somebody in, and we'd get them food. They were unlocked. So I leave the office, and I start down the hallway going to uh, uh, meet this gentleman. And at the top of the lungs, I'm singing, I think it's a Willie Nelson song. I, I can't remember for sure. But he's an old hippie, and he don't know what to do. you know. And I'm singing at the top of my lungs. And I round the corner about the time I'm getting to, he's an old hippie. you know. And there he stood. And me and I, and of course, he thinks I'm crazy, and I think I'm crazy, and so I get him his food, and he goes on his merry way. Um, another funny one that I've shared uh, with some of you before, uh, we had this family, they don't go to church here now, uh, they're like uh, Kent and Jamie, they've, they've left, and they may come back, but I kind of doubt it, uh, but uh, they, they were coming to church here years and years ago. And he stopped by the office one week to, to visit in the office. And for whatever reason, when people encounter me throughout the week, um, if I start a conversation with them, if they have not been to church on the previous Sunday, it just gets really awkward for them. David's laughing because I'm texting him, where were you at last week in church? But uh, anyway, it's just an awkward conversation, and people will immediately, if they've not been in church the previous week, will start telling me why they weren't here, right? They want me to know why they weren't here, as if, you know, I'm going to put some curse on them for not being to church, and they've got to come clean. You know, confession is good for the soul. But this one fellow, he comes in the office, and he says, I said something. I said, we missed you and your family in church on Sunday. And he said, yeah, my wife got up Sunday morning, and she cooked us all a big breakfast, and she had fried bacon for breakfast that morning, and so we couldn't come to church because we all smelled like bacon. <laughs> all righty then. So what's your excuse? David, you never gave me one. David don't care what I think. He knows I can't put a curse on him, but uh, I can't make this stuff up. But I, I, what brought those stories to mind was a, a story that I heard a, a pastor share recently about a woman in his church who had become ill. And she'd gotten sick and wasn't doing well. And so the pastor goes to visit her. And while he's talking to her, she said, Pastor, I know the reason that I've got this sickness. I know the reason uh, that my health has gone bad. And he said, oh, you know, really, what, what, do you, what do you think caused this? And she said, well, w one night when I went to bed, I forgot to put my pillow under my, I forgot to put my Bible under my pillow. And she said, and I believe that's why I have an illness. And the pastor began to explain to her, you know, that he was, he was quite certain that that hadn't been the case. And we might think of somebody like that and go, you know, if anybody thinks if they don't put their Bible under their pillow and they get sick, that, you know, they're probably a nut anyway. Um, but, you know, also I think a lot of times we 
we view our faith and we view our relationship with God sometimes as if it's some sort of superstition or there's some sort of magic formula that is involved with us being in a right relationship with God. And, you know, it's easy for us to sit here today and judge the lady that uh, didn't put her Bible under her pillow. But the truth of the matter is this. I believe we all fall in a similar trap like this from time to time. Because here's the deal. We live in a culture today that believes you get what you deserve. Uh, And so many people believe this. And it really doesn't matter which end of the spectrum they're on. You've got people on this end of the spectrum that thinks, you know, in order for me to get what I deserve, then I'm going to have to work hard. You know, I'm going to have to really bust it. And then, you know, I'm going to earn what I get. And then you've got people on the other end of the spectrum who says, well, you know what? I'm not going to work. I don't want to work. I choose not to work. And yet they still believe that they should get what uh, they deserve as well. And, and so a lot of us think, uh, a lot of us think that, you know what, uh, we work harder and we work longer hours in exchange for something, in exchange for money, in exchange for better opportunities. And if you think about it, we even teach our kids this at a very young age by using Santa Claus as a bargaining tool, right? And if you're a parent today and you've got small children and you're not using Santa Claus as a bargaining tool, it's your loss, right? I mean, we did it around our house all the time. You better not pout. You better not cry. You know, you better be nice. I'm telling you why, because Santa Claus is coming. And, you know, if you're not good, if you're not on good behavior you know, then he's just going to dump a sack of coal on, on your, you know, in your stocking or whatever. And, and so we, we, you know, we teach our kids that, uh, you know, if you're good, you get rewarded for it. But if you're bad, something bad's going to happen to you. And we continue to teach that and live under that culture even as we grow into teenagers, adults, and beyond. And this is nothing new to humanity. In fact, uh, this, the, the context of the scripture that Lee read for us during our worship this morning, uh, that's exactly what's taking place. The people that Paul is writing this letter to uh, here in Romans have a similar problem. And so let's take a look at that today, and we'll break it down and talk about three things that uh, I think are important for us to understand from this passage. I just want to read it one more time, uh, but this time I want to read this passage uh, from the NLT translation because I just believe it's a little bit easier to understand and gives us a little clearer picture of what's taking place here. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. This is Paul writing this letter. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their what? Their faith in God, who forgives sinners. Now let's skip down to verse 13. Clearly, 
God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And your Bible translation may use the word grace here. This free gift called grace. And we are all certain to receive it. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. So here's what's going on here. Abraham, who was viewed as the father of the, the nations, the father of the nation of Israel, the father of the Jewish uh, nation. Uh, he was lifted up on a pedestal uh, with that, uh, that title that he had been given. And he was viewed as, by the Jews, Abraham was viewed, they believed that the reason that he was the father of uh, their nation was because he followed the law perfectly. You see, their belief was is that Abraham was blessed to be this father of their faith because he had done all the right things. And not only had he done all the right things, but he had been careful to avoid all the bad things. And so the belief was that that's why God blessed him and, and made him the father of the Jewish nation. But here in this passage, Paul is trying to correct this way of thinking. You see, Paul is, is saying it's not about what Abraham did. It's not about what he did, but instead it's this free gift of God's mercy, this free gift of God's grace. This is what the real blessing was on Abraham's life. You see, the blessing came not because of how he lived his life. The blessing came because of his faith. And it was his faith that guided him to live a life that allowed God to shape him into who God wanted him to be. And not only is Paul trying to correct the Romans and their way of thinking, but I believe this letter is included in God's Holy Scripture today for you and me because I believe this is important for us today as well, especially in the culture that we are living in. Because just like the culture of the world that says, work harder, produce more or else, right? We can begin to believe that God works in the same way. That somehow we've got to work harder, that we've got to do more. And if we don't, or else, right? And so we believe if that's right for the culture that we're living in, then that must be the right way of thinking about God. But that's what Paul's trying to correct here in this passage of Scripture uh, this morning. Because we can begin to believe that God favors us or rewards us based on what we do instead of based on this free gift of grace that He extends to each and every one of us. Or the flip side of that might be, 
bad things happen to me because I've done something wrong. And I'm sure that probably most everybody in this room at some time has gone through uh, something difficult or something has happened to you. And you've wondered, is this happening because I haven't done the right things or maybe I've done the wrong things? And this is especially important during uh, this season of Lent that Hunter introduced to us uh, last week. Because often during the season of Lent, during that time, people uh, put spiritual practices and certain disciplines in place during Lent. And while doing that, and while you know, introducing something new spiritually into our life that we may not have done normally. In doing that, we might think that, you know what, because I'm doing this and, you know, I'm, I'm doing this spiritual practice or doing this spiritual discipline during Lent, that we're going to receive some sort of special blessing because we did that and we're doing something spiritual for God, right? And so we expect Something good to come from that because we're on this journey of Lent. But what we see here in this passage is that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to earn the grace of God. There's nothing that you can do to earn His grace. It's already available to every single one of you. It's a free gift from him. So this morning, real quickly, I want to focus on three things here from our text. The first is Abraham, which I think is an important part uh, of this passage that we're looking at because Abraham was known not only as the father of the Jewish nation, but he also is referred to as the father of our faith. Okay? So Paul points us to Abraham because many believe that Abraham had followed the law to a T. He had followed the law absolutely perfectly, and they believed that him by him doing this and living this perfect life, that that was the reason he was the father of nations or the father of our faith. They believed this was why the Jews were the chosen people of God, because Abraham was such a great man and did all these things, right? And so they believed because he was the father of the Jewish nation, that it was because of Abraham that they were called the people of God, the children of God, because of Abraham's blameless and perfect life of following all the rules. But the interesting thing about this is this. You see, the law didn't even exist during Abraham's day. The law was written hundreds of years after Abraham had actually died. Uh, another thing is that Abraham wasn't even a Jew, all right? Because no one was Jewish, because Judaism didn't even exist at the time that Abraham was alive. And so why did God bless Abraham the way that he did? Why did he use Abraham the way that he used Abraham? Why did Abraham uh, seem to receive this blessing and favor from God? Well, Paul gives us the answer right here in verse 3. He says, because... Abraham believed God, and because he believed God and lived his life for God, God counted him as righteous. Why? Because of what he did? No. Because of his faith. 
because of his faith. It had absolutely nothing to do with what Abraham did, but everything to do with his faith in God because it was his faith in God that shaped his life. You hear me? It was his faith in God that shaped his life and how he lived his life and how he viewed life around him. You see, friends, it doesn't matter today if you are a Jew or if you are a Gentile. It doesn't matter today if you are Chinese or you are an American. It doesn't matter if you're white or black. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. <laughs> right? It does not matter. You can only be considered righteous in the eyes of God today because of your faith that you have in Him. Remember the scripture that we've been looking at almost every week of uh, this journey the past several weeks where Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 15, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you. Hey, how do we remain? How do we abide? Through our faith in Him. It's through our faith. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Like Abraham, right? But apart from me, apart from me, not living this life of faith that is abiding with me and remaining in me, you can do nothing. It's this idea of Jesus saying, I'm going to do amazing things through your life. As long as you remain, as long as you live a life of faith that I am who I am, that I am uh, the God of Abraham, and I am uh, the God, the Father of the Son, Jesus Christ, who I sent to come as a sacrifice for your sins. If you live your life of faith based on that, we're remaining, we're abiding, and I'm going to produce fruit in you and through you as long as you remain. As long as you abide. And you do that by living a life of faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing that Paul addresses in this passage is what is referred to as legalism. And if you're not familiar with that term legalism, I just put a short little definition up there for you. It simply means following the law perfectly. Following all the rules perfectly. You see, there's this idea in the early church that Christians must follow Every law in the Torah, all right? They must follow every one of them perfectly. As a matter of fact, they took great pride in following these rules. Not only did they take great pride in being able to check off these rules and these laws that they were following, but they took great pride in the fact that they could point out the ones that you weren't following, right? It was, it was their role. It was their job. They were the law keepers. They were the religious people uh, uh, back then. And so they took it upon themselves to point out, we're following all these laws. You missed this one, this one, and this one, right? So you're doomed. You're, you're condemned because of that. In fact, the Jews, they looked down their noses at the Gentiles because of the things that they would do. They looked down their noses at the Gentiles and considered them to be heathens and, and, and dogs because they, you know, the things that they didn't do in accordance with all these rules that they had made up that were there in the Torah. You see, what they had done was this. They had taken the Ten Commandments and these humans had tried to make it better 
right? We don't do that today, do we? We don't take things that God uh, made and God gave us and try to make them better, do we? Like our food. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he gave us an apple. Hunter talked about the apple uh, last week that some of y'all are still eating today, you sinners. But we've taken, we've taken this apple, right, that God gave us, and what have we done? Well, well we've improved on that sucker, didn't we? We started, uh, we started putting some stuff in the seeds and in the, in the fertilizer to, to help it grow and grow faster. And, and we put some things in it to make it look prettier. And we put some things in it to make it last longer. Because you know what? God, God may have said when he, he made that apple that he made it good, but, but we, we're smart enough to make it better. Amen? God didn't do good enough. We do that with our meat. We do that with lots of things in the world. God gave us a lot of things, and we decide we're going to make it better. And that's what they had done with the Ten Commandments. That's exactly what they had done. They took the Ten Commandments and said, well, you know what? We need to clarify this. Uh, we, 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 need to, we need to come up with a way to be able to enforce these, these Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. And so they came up with 613 individual rules or laws to enforce the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses. You see, they made it so much better, so much easier for everybody. It was, it was so much better. And it was all based on the interpretation of a bunch of religious people who thought they were better than everybody else. Be careful now. You see, they began to judge those people around them because they were better than them. They knew better than them. And here's the deal. When you put your focus on the law, when you put your focus on all those rules and making sure that everybody follows them to a T, well, that's exactly what legalism is. And legalism is not good. I don't know if I said that earlier, but we all just need to clarify, legalism is not good. It's not God's desire for the church and for the children of God. And, and by the way, there was no way possible that anybody could follow all these 613 rules anyway. <laughs> I mean, it just couldn't be done. No one uh, could truly be saved if following all 613 was a requirement. Nobody would be going to heaven, right? Nobody could do all that. Everyone would be doomed, and the death of Jesus on the cross would mean absolutely nothing if that were true. And another thing, if, if you can be saved by following 613 laws perfectly, then what is the point of faith? If you can get there by checking boxes, what's the purpose of faith? And what's the purpose of Jesus going to the cross? Faith is the response of a person who has accepted grace. Okay? Faith is the response of a person who has accepted God's grace. But often our response is that we think that we somehow have to earn God's favor. Does that wear anybody out in this room besides me? <laughs> right? We think we've got to earn it. We think we've got to do something. And if we're not careful, hear me now, we start judging other people as well who don't follow Jesus the way that we think that they should. We start judging other people because they're not doing what we think they should do. And here's another trap, another side to the trap of legalism. We not only judge other people, but you know what? We start judging ourselves. And instead of living 
under that grace by faith, instead of living in that grace and, uh, and that faith in God that we have, that He's a loving God that forgives and forgets, instead of living in that, we are so hard on ourselves for not being perfect. We're so hard on ourselves uh, for, for not being perfect that we continually live a life filled with guilt and shame. Friends, that is not of God. If you're living a life filled with guilt and shame, that is straight from the pits of hell. God is not a God of guilt and shame. God is a God who sent His Son Jesus so that you could be free from your guilt and your shame. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the empty tomb is all about. Not that we would be bound by our guilt, but that we would be set free from our guilt. But many of us are so hard on ourselves. And by doing that, what we're really saying is that God's grace isn't enough. God's grace isn't enough to save me. God's grace isn't enough to set me free. And we create our own legalistic standards. And we're not willing to forgive ourselves. We're not willing to forgive others. When we and they don't live up to those standards. So we got to be careful about that. That we're not living lives of legalism instead of living lives of faith in God through the grace that has been extended to us. That brings us to the third thing this morning, and it's grace. It's grace. Listen, a life changed. Transformation of a life is a sign of faith that you have accepted grace. It, it, it's a sign that someone has accepted grace. Don't miss this. You don't have to change. You don't have to transform your life in order to have faith. You don't have to change. You don't have to transform yourself into somebody else in order to accept grace. I've told this story several times, but, but I had a friend who uh, I was raised with. I'd known him all my life. We ran together. Uh, man, we did some things together. Thank God for the statute of limitations. But uh, we were good friends. And I would go into ministry. And I would reach out to him. And I'd say, hey, man. Why don't you come visit our church? Why don't you come? You never heard me preach. Why don't you come visit? Why don't you come to our church? Why don't you come hear me preach? And he never would. He'd turn me down. Asked him one more time, and he finally told me. He said, Steve, I'm not coming to your church. He said, you know as well as I do that I love to drink beer. I love to drink beer. I'm not going to stop drinking beer. And I'm not going to come to your church and be a hypocrite about it. He said, I'm not coming. And I said to him, I actually, I don't think I said it. I think I shouted it at him. You don't have to stop drinking beer to come to church, right? Because if that was a rule that we had in place in here, about half of you would have to leave this morning, <laughs> all right? And I told the early service, I don't have to worry about it in the early service because the people who aren't hungover come to the early service. It's those that are hung over that come to the late service. And, and so I, I know a lot of you. If that was our rule, you couldn't be here. 
And, and I told my buddy, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to church. God accepts us the way we are. We accept God through faith, believing that. Believing that He accepts us and He says, Come just as you are. Place your faith in me. Place your faith in me and receive this gift of grace and I'll take care of everything else. You don't have to change. You don't have to transform. You don't have to do any of that. We accept God through faith. We accept His grace. And then He starts changing our life. That's His business. And He'll do it. He will do it. If you're living in faith and have accepted your grace, you can't help but to be changed. Because that's what He do, does. That's what He's in the business of doing. It's taking us once we've accepted who He is as a loving Father. And He takes us and He says, you know what? I love you so much, and I've forgiven you of your past. And, I'm, I'm, I, and here's what he does. He says, I'm, I'm going to start shaping you into somebody else. I, I'm, I'm about to shape you into a new creation. And no, you will never be perfect this side of heaven. But boy, I'm going to make you look more like me as you go out into the world. That's what he does when we place our faith in him and accept this gift of grace. You don't have to follow 613 rules of the Torah in order to, run, to earn favor with God or before you can be saved. You get saved and then God starts working on you. God starts working in you and through you. And you know what comes next? Jesus said fruit. Fruit that will last. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, Lent... And Easter and the entire message of Jesus Christ is one of grace as a gift. It's not earned. It's freely given. Jesus didn't come to this earth out of obligation because he had to check a box. Right? He didn't come out of all obligation. Why did he come? He, come beca he came because he loved you. He came because He loves you. And He did for you what He did on the cross out of love. It wasn't out of obligation and it wasn't out of you needing to follow some rules. He did it solely because He loves you. Jesus' sacrifice was for you while you lived in your sin. His sacrifice was for us while we lived in sin. He didn't, he didn't wait for us to follow the law perfectly before He paid the price for us and our sins. He came in spite of our sins. He came in spite of our imperfections. Jesus is not some cosmic Santa sitting up there waiting for us to mess up so He can dump coal on our heads. That's not who He is. That's not what He does. Our God my friends, is a generous, generous Father. He is a generous giver who has extended this amazing free gift of grace to every single one of us today. The only action that needs to happen on our part is to receive it.
Receive the grace. Receive the forgiveness. Receive the gift. Faith is simply our response to a good God who gives good gifts and shows favor to His children. And friends, that's good news for us today. That's good news for me today. Grace is extended to us all. None of us have been so bad that He wouldn't extend the gift of grace to us. Not a one of us. And we are considered righteous in His eyes when through faith we accept this gift of grace and live our lives in that grace. And so in closing today, let me say this. Even those of us who have grown up in church, those of us that have grown up in the faith, we can fall into this trap of thinking that we've got to earn God's favor. Some of us who look like we've got it all together on the outside, we know in our hearts that we really struggle internally with guilt and with shame when we think about things that we've done and we think about times that we've blown it and we think about times that we've disappointed the Father. But friends, hear me today. Grace is a gift that never stops giving. Grace is a gift that never stops giving. And sometimes we can even view the season of Lent The season of fasting and repentance is something that we should do so that maybe God would love us a little more. But what it really is, what Lent is really about, what Easter is really about, what Advent is really about, it's an opportunity to grow deeper in our faith and have a better understanding of this gift. A better understanding of grace. It's not about earning favor. It's about focusing on the goodness of grace. And so for those of us today who seem to be stuck in a cycle of shame and guilt, of not feeling good enough, it's important this morning to soak in the fact God loves you. God has always loved you. And child, His grace is sufficient. And that truly is water for the way on our journey with Jesus. God's grace is sufficient for all of us. And friends, don't don't forget this. Not only is His grace sufficient for you and sufficient for me, You're going to go into a world this afternoon. You're going to go into a world tomorrow. And you're going to run into people that others might label as losers, as evil, as the enemy, as Democrats or Republicans. See, we're going to go out into that world tomorrow. And what we must not forget is not only is that gift of grace available to me and you, but it's available to them as well. They may not act the way that you think they ought to act because they don't know Jesus yet. They haven't 
had anyone even live out a life in front of them where they could see Jesus. And so we need to be real careful that we don't decide in our own minds that grace is only for us and not for them. Because grace is available and grace is sufficient for all. God continues to extend grace to all. And all any of us have to do to receive it is accept it. And this morning we're going to close with a time of prayer. And I don't know, I, you know, first off, I want you to come and pray this morning if you feel like you need to pray. If you need to pray for someone, situation, family, whatever it may be, uh, I want you to, to come and pray this morning. I also want you to come this morning, and it may, it may be hard for you to get up, take that walk, but I think there's freedom in it. Maybe you've accepted Christ. Maybe you have accepted God and you know that in your heart of hearts you're a child of God, but that guilt and that shame just continues to rear its ugly head in your life. I, I just believe with all my heart that if you would come this morning just as an act of obedience, that I'm going to stand on this faith that we've been looking at. I'm going to stand in this grace, and I'm going to receive freedom today from my guilt and my shame. If that's you today, I want you to come. Nobody's going to judge you. We've all got a past. Mine is probably worse than yours. But this morning, if you'd like to come this morning, I invite you to come. We're not going to wait a long time, but you come this morning. If you want to come pray, let's pray, and we're going to close together as the body of Christ in prayer. Would you come? God, we come before you this morning grateful and thankful for the love that you've shown us and the love that you have extended us. And God, I come and bow with these at this altar, and I don't know why any of them are here or what they're praying for or what their need is, but God, you do. But I come and join them because this message not only was for the church, this message was for the pastor. And God, we can be so hard on ourselves. And we can live in guilt and shame and find ourselves in bondage of that and not live in grace. And that is not who you are about. That's not what you do. That's not who you are. It's not that we would walk in guilt and shame, but that we would walk in freedom knowing that there was a sacrifice that was made on the tree of Calvary for our sins. And that if we come to you in faith believing that, believing that 
Jesus was your son and that he came to take our sin onto himself and that it would die upon that cross, God. If we would come to you in faith believing that, we would walk out of here today with freedom, living in that faith, accepting that grace that continually gives and continually cleanses and continually shapes us into who you want us to be. So God, help us not to be defeated by the past. God, I pray that our, our, our past this morning would not define our future, that we would walk out of here knowing and having an assurance that we are a child of the King of Kings. We've been cleansed. We've been made spotless. And you're going to go with us as we go into the world. And we're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to get it right. But God, you're a God of grace. You're a God of grace. But God, we can't use that as an excuse to go out and live however we, we want to live. You've made it clear in your word that we've got to abide in you. We've got to remain in you. We've got to walk in that faith and walk in that grace daily. And, and we won't be condemned. We won't be cut off. But we must walk in that faith and allow you to work in our hearts and in our lives. And so I pray for these that have come that desire just that. I pray for those this morning that didn't come that may be sitting there in their seat today. And they need a work of God in their life. And they know that they need a work of God in their life, God. I pray that you would touch them. I pray that you would draw them. I pray that you would forgive them. And if they've never placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be a day of salvation, a day where they would experience you at work in them and through them, God. God, we thank you so much for this amazing love and this amazing grace that we've, we've seen this morning that uh, we talk about and we sing about, God. I pray that we would embrace it and have a better understanding than we've ever had of it. And we would go out from this place understanding that we're going to encounter people today and, and tomorrow, wherever we go, that have been extended this same grace. But God, they haven't seen it. They don't know it. They don't understand it. Help us to be a reflection of your grace and your love. Help us to be a reflection of you as we come in contact with those people though, so that they might see you and know you and experience forgiveness and grace in their lives as well. God, I pray for those in our church that are hurting. I pray for those in our church that have children that, that are just uh, completely going the wrong way. They're on the wrong path, and parents are burdened, and they're hurt. And, and God, they've been crying out to you to save their child, to get them back on the right path. And God, I just pray for those parents today that you would bring comfort, that you would bring hope, you would bring strength, God, and that they would be assured and know that you are at work. You're putting people in their lives. You're putting situation in their lives to where they, they know that you are there. They know that you are, 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 are real. They know that the God that they learned about as a child uh, is, is really a good God. And God, we trust you that you are at work in the lives of these kids. God, I pray for those in our church that are literally suffering from physical issues, from cancer, from the sickness that treatments cause. 
those that have been in surgery and those who are facing surgery. God, you know each and every one. And I would be negligent this morning to try to name them all. But God, I pray that you would be with them in a very special way. Be exactly what they need. God, most of all, I pray that they would sense you in such a real way that they would know without a doubt that you are walking with them and you are in absolute control. I pray for the other churches in our community. God, we are seeing and we are hearing reports that you are on the move. You are doing a work in this world I just, I just pray that it's a, a final work that you're doing to bring your children where they need to be before it all comes to an end. I don't know, but I know that you're at work. I know that you're at work in this church. I know that you're at work in other places and in other churches. And so I pray for the other churches in our community, good people. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, the name on our signs does not separate us. So God, I think of our friends next door here. I, I know those people. I know that pastor. I know people that go to church. They're, they're good people. They believe in you. They're living in your grace. They're sharing grace. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd give them fruit. For remaining and abiding, being consistent in this community. I pray that your church would go out from these buildings today. Build the kingdom of God. God, we love you so much and we thank you for this amazing love that you've shown us. I thank you for what you've done in the past. I thank you for what you're doing right now in this moment. And God, I praise you and give you glory for what you're going to do in the days ahead. As we walk with you, we abide, we remain in you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray and I ask these things. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning as we close as the body of Christ with this benediction? This morning, would you read it with me? Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen. I love you all. Have a blessed week. God.